I'm Dr. Omar Khan. I'm Dr. Shannon Gowland. I'm Dr. Tiffany Dursey. And welcome to Vet Sessions. host today on Vet Sessions. Welcome. So today I'm so excited to talk to Dr. Amy Thompson, who is a mobile veterinary dentist. Welcome, Amy. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. So I thought maybe we'd talk about a little bit about you first, okay. uh, and then we will leap into our topic if that's okay. So I guess I was wondering, first of all, what do you love so much about dentistry? Oh gosh, we could do a whole question. podcast on that. <laughs> what sure. don't I love about it? Um, I... I love that it's a mix of medicine and surgery. I love that it's generally something that the patient comes to me with a problem and they go home with it fixed. Um, and I love that it's a growing area within veterinary medicine. I think there's been huge strides made even in my somewhat, I guess some people might call short career of 10 years. <laughs> um, and then just the just the feedback from owners um, after. So I find a lot of times it's like, oh yeah, no, they're fine. They're not painful, even though I'm seeing things that are. Um, and then, you know, when I'm able to build that trust and rapport with an owner that they're like, yeah, you know, I hear what you're saying, Dr. Thompson, let's do this. And then just like the excitement of like, you know, he's a puppy again, or she's, you know, playing with toys or she's up on her cat tree and just being able to see that change because a lot of the oral disease is sort of chronic and ongoing so owners don't always see the like negative clinical signs but they definitely see the positive so a bit selfishly it just feels real good that's <laughs> to have awesome. that feedback. no that's awesome and we're as veterinarians we're all people who love to fix things for yes. our patients right mm -hmm. so yeah mm -hmm. I love that too the he's a puppy again like there there are very few things that are better to hear than that yeah so. yeah really nothing kind of tops that that's incredible. Oh, mm -hmm. good for you. Good for you. And then I know that you have a mobile practice and I'm wondering kind of, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a mobile dentist? Like, what do you like about it? Are yeah. there any hard parts about it? You know, fill me in. Yeah. So the hard part is all the driving and the travel. Sure. Um, but I kind of set it up that way. So I have a very large radius um, covering large portions of the province. Um, so that part sucks <laughs> uh -huh. to not have sort of like a home base or home clinic but the flip side is getting to work with so many different teams um meet different owners different pets um and like the sort of in in the trenches i guess or um on on the ground sort of education um dialogue discussion that i get to have with so many different teams about how they approach um oral health and dental care and and that kind of thing and just like having that feedback and you know we talk I, I talk a lot about how like i will do teaching when i'm in the clinics but i also get to learn from um practices and how they kind of set things up and uh so it's just been a really um awesome experience to just see how different things work and just kind of have like a big team i guess <laughs> that's fantastic you yeah. have to be really flexible i'm sure right um, to do that sort of work yeah. yeah yeah so uh i know it's not made for everyone i have some resident mates that are like yeah no i like my things done a very <laughs> certain way um, and there are certain things that are definitely like done a certain way, but yeah, you have to be a bit flexible and, and willing to kind of work with teams. And, um, and I think that's the beauty of it is like, we can all kind of learn from each other. Um, but yes, flexibility would be, would be a big thing and, and not mind the, the hours of driving and listening to podcasts, which 
I don't, I don't mind. For sure. And now you're adding to them, which is great. <laughs> Excellent. So how did you get to where you are? Like, I was wondering if you could kind of share your career path. I think it's always interesting for us to hear how different vets get to different places. So yeah, tell us about your journey. Yeah, I love that. And it's funny because I always remember um, in vet school hearing from people and they'd be like, very rarely does someone say, and this is what I planned when I got into vet school and here I am today. <laughs> so right? true. Yeah, we all have so many different different paths. So um, funnily enough, um, as a OVC student, my final year I was actually a food animal student. Really? Um, yeah, so I had an amazing externship experience and a shadowing experience with um, a bovine vet up in Listable. She was fantastic. I met her at one of the events that one of the clubs was hosting, I think, in first or in second year and I was just like I don't know anything about cows but I'm interested Fantastic. and she was so amazing took me on and I really fell in love with dairy medicine so I did mixed animals so that I could create my own or sorry food animals so I could mix my own make my own mixed animal stream Wow. So no offense, but horses and me just aren't, so mixed animal wasn't going to work for me. <laughs> um, and so I went that route. And um, and then when push came to shove after graduation, um, there wasn't a lot of mixed animal jobs. So I picked to stick with small animal, which is kind of what I entered vet school doing. Um, and then I really lucked out. I had really great mentorship in my first job. Um and learned dentistry because, you know, unfortunately, it was just we didn't get a lot of it in, in vet school. And I really was like, hey, wait a second. I was always kind of interested in vet school, but never realized. And the more I learned, the more I realized I didn't know, but was interested. And so I started taking a bunch of first online courses and then started going to um wet labs and lectures at the different conferences and was like okay all right into this really yeah. into this and then I think it was just over a year out um I decided to go to the veterinary dental forum so where all the dental nerds all come together uh and it was like <laughs> it was like Christmas for me I was like okay this is this is my thing so um I really started to focus on that in my general practice position uh weighing out a lot of pros and cons of you know special interest in dentistry or like really go going for it um and I had a um a very supportive shove um uh -huh. from a mentor and so uh I I entered into the match and I very very fortunately matched um with the team uh at the University of Wisconsin-Madison so I moved there uh and did my residency for three years and then came back and pandemic stuff happened and so I found myself looking you know where I would fit in and so I thought all right let's give this a go uh, and started my mobile practice wow fantastic mm -hmm. that's great to hear like it's really inspiring for everyone I think to know that you can enter vet school with one idea and switch to something else like our profession is so great for that yeah, yeah there's and, so much lateral movement yeah. there's so many different things and I think just being, I guess for me, just being open to be exposed to different things. I mean, I'm always sad uh, when I see other friends posting about, you know, bovine medicine. I'm like, oh, I do miss that. Yeah. And at the same time, I think I'm where I'm supposed to be, but um, I'm grateful for that experience and everything that it taught me. And yeah, I think just realizing there is so much more. Like I, I was pretty... I don't want to say closed-minded, but I was very focused. That's that's what mm. I would say. Very focused on small animal um, general practice. That's what I'd always been exposed to pre-vet school. I was really focused on going that route. I vividly remember saying, like, I will never do a residency. 
see, I will never specialize. <laughs> so never say never. Because um, you never know where you'll end up. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. well, good for you for following your passion. That's that's incredible. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really awesome. I've had great support from family, friends, and colleagues. So I'm just glad to be where I am. Mm-hmm. Okay. Amazing. Well, let's jump into our topic. So yeah. today we're going to talk about feline tooth resorption. So um, a lesion that we see so many times. Mm-hmm. So, um, so can you tell us, our listeners, just a little bit about what this is and how it looks in their patients? Like if you're doing an oral exam on an awake cat, what you might see? Yeah, absolutely. So tricky. Um, so pretty common, depends on, you know, what demographic of kitty cats we're looking at, what literature specific we're looking at. It can range in populations from about a quarter to three quarters of cats being examined that will have tooth resorption. And so essentially it's an osteoclastic um, resorption. So we still don't fully know the etiology that sets it off, which mm-hmm. is, of course, frustrating. Yes. Um, that sets it off. But essentially, the osteoclasts start resorbing the teeth. Um, and so that can look like nothing abnormal on oral exam, which is the hardest part, um, if it's affecting the roots or palatal lingual surfaces of the teeth. Um, But most commonly what I'll find I'm seeing and, you know, students and colleagues are seeing is sometimes it looks like a little bit of gingival overgrowth or Mm -hmm. enlargement, which is very rare. We see gingival enlargement of many different flavors in dogs, but it's pretty rare in kitty cats. So normally, you know, I say if you kind of looking, thinking, "Mm, there's a bit of gum tissue that looks like it's over the tooth, oftentimes um, that's some granulation tissue hiding the underlying resorption. So that can often be a a bit of a a clue to say we need to get a, a deeper look in there. For sure, for mm-hmm. sure. And then do you have any, um, like doing oral exams on awake cats is tricky sometimes. Do you have any favorite like tips or tricks or anything you want to share as far as that goes? Yeah, it definitely tricky and they um, they can be spicy. So you got to be careful. So yeah. I, um, I'm i always equipped with my tongue depressors um, to use those instead of my fingers um, if, oh, okay. if they have a history being a bit spicy. So mm-hmm. um, I guess for me, um, I tend to use my non-dominant hand or my left hand. I use my thumb and index finger. Um, same positioning for toothbrushing as you might have it. Um, so place my thumb under their little chin and then actually kind of their finger almost on their forehead because they don't have much of a muzzle um, to just help keep their, their mouth clenched um, so that they can't get my fingers in their mouth. Yes. Um, and then I'll use my finger or a tongue depressor to just pull the lip up and back to try and get a really good look at the dentition. Uh, and then once I've kind of looked around each side in the front, then I leave the looking in the mouth for the very end. Um, and I kind of will use their zygomatic arches, sort of like a handle. Yep, yep. <laughs> so I'll slide my thumb up onto sort of their, uh, I guess, right zygomatic arch and my index finger on their left. And I'll use that as a handle. And then I'll use my index finger on my right hand on their lower incisors and push down and kind of hold and then look real quick yep. <laughs> um, and get a look at at the at best I can at the to- the back the base of the tongue the palatal glossal folds and like the palate um, and hopefully have some good lighting and, and can get a bit of a, a, a sneak peek in there as long as they're not too spicy fantastic mm-hmm. uh, interesting I put one hand under the chin but I haven't thought to put my index finger between their little eyes like on their sort of uh, forehead top of mm-hmm. nose hmm, I'll have to try that out thank you yeah so I do that with kitty cats and then just on the bridge of their nose or along the nasal bone muzzle on dogs um, so to just let them clench their teeth and so I find 
for toothbrushing and for oral exams are a little bit more accepting of me pulling lips back to look when they have their mouth closed. So yeah. that's, that's been my experience at least. Fantastic. Yeah. Also, if they're going to open their mouth, you feel it and then you can move your hands accordingly. Yes. So yes. that's good. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much. Okay. So um, what if we kind of start with a case? So um, why don't we talk about a cat named Billy? Okay. So Billy is going to be a six-year-old male neutered Abyssinian cats because I love Abyssinians uh, who is presented to us for a wellness appointment. He's doing well at home, eating well and having generally no concerns. Um, but on oral exam, we see what might be resorptive lesions on his lower premolars. So on T307 and 407, we see that little bleb of gum mm-hmm. kind of tissue mm-hmm. kind of covering over the tooth in a suspicious manner where it doesn't really belong. And he also has tartar and gingivitis on his lower and upper molars. So what what would you start off with telling his owners? Yeah. So... Yeah, it, it, I love that you picked the 307-407 because sometimes I'll say is if you've got a real spicy cat and you're not going to get a good look, I will look at those teeth. Um, not always, not every cat reads the textbook and when we don't know why this is, um, the greater we, um, but it yes. seems that those those third premolars are the first ones that we'll see lesions on. So if you can only see two teeth, those are the ones you try and look at. But um, so generally speaking, I'll just start with the owners to say, so how to look in Billy's mouth, and and I've got a few concerns. Um, the first being that we've got some inflammation around his lower premolars that I'm a bit concerned could be tooth resorption. And then often owners will ask, you know, what is that? So yeah. I, I try and kind of keep it keep it short and simple, but essentially um, it's a condition that we see quite commonly, unfortunately, in kitty cats where their own body tries to resorb their teeth. Um, and what can happen is when we lose the enamel or dentin or outside coating of the teeth, we can have nerve exposure, which can be quite sensitive and uncomfortable. So I'd really like to be able to explore further if that's what's going on with him. Uh, and then often they'll ask <laughs> what that means or how we do that. And so I basically explain what we need to do is we need to place Billy under general anesthesia. And then I just try to give them a moment to just have their reaction because I know a lot of owners are very concerned about anesthesia. For sure. And rightfully so. I mean, anesthesia has come a long, long way, even in my career, um, and and pretty safe generally. That being said, you know, one in 10,000, but if, if that person's had the one, yeah. um, it can be really scary. So I just let them sort of absorb that and then and try to address it head on. You know, I will fully say anesthesia is not a benign therapy. Um, it's definitely not 100% risk free we for me it's weighing out the risk benefit and so in a young healthy kitty cat obvious not obviously would talk about doing you know the full physical exam that we've done which is normal we would do blood work um the risk is quite low and um and the benefit is quite high if he does have these tooth resorptive lesions um and then also moving on to there is quite a bit of plaque calculus and gingivitis at the back which could be you know what we're seeing could be the end of it, which means we can actually reverse that disease, which is cool. I really like to spend time talking about the first stage of periodontal disease where we have gingivitis alone uh, and no attachment loss, uh, which we would need an oral exam and x-rays under anesthesia to know. We can actually reverse these, which is really cool because we can't really do that with most diseases, right? So this gives us an opportunity to to, to get Billy under anesthesia, do a full cleaning assessment. So tooth by tooth exam, just like you and I get at the dentist, get x-rays. And if there is tooth resorption there, unfortunately, the only way to treat that is extraction, 
Despite decades of, of dentists trying different things, we used to think they were cavities or decay. So we tried stuff with that, but but that's not the case. So we do have to extract them um, and then just make sure that there's nothing else hiding underneath the gum line. For sure, mm. for sure. That sounds like a really great way to communicate all the concerns and the benefits of doing dentistry. And you're mm. right, people are often initially concerned about the anesthesia, but we yeah. have a similar approach here that most people respond to really well, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then let's say that Billy comes in for his dental procedure and he has full mouth x-rays. And, and then what would, he, would we expect to see on his x-rays if he has tooth resorption? I know it's a little bit hard on a podcast because we can't <laughs> point to pictures, yeah. but if you can kind of paint a picture with words, that'd yeah. be amazing. Yeah, well, first I love the full mouth x-rays. Uh, I know there can, you know, sometimes be concern about the cost and the time to do that. Um, however, we do have lots of literature that shows even when we have, you know, a suspect lesion or a tooth we know is the problem, we generally, I think in like 80% of cases, we're going to find something else. Mm-hmm. And so for me, if that owner is going to trust me to put their pet under anesthesia, I want to do the best I can. So um, we can take out the obvious problem teeth, but if we leave the less obvious, they might not have that bounce back of they're like a kitten again and then the question is do they see the value in that so definitely always full mouth x-rays every patient every time and then what we'll see will really depend on the type of tooth resorption and the stage of it so Tooth resorption is classified a little bit different in kitty cats than in humans and dogs. Um, I do really like, there's some really great um, x-rays, like little cartoons and clinical images on the AVDC or the American Veterinary Dental College org website. I really do like the way they lay that out. I find it helpful for owners to kind of see that. Um, but it does depend on how severe it is. So staging and then the type. So we can have anything from just a small little speck of um increased lucency on the tooth to where did that tooth root go? Um, We can hardly see it. Um, And so that would be the various stages of severity. And then the other thing is, can we see that lucent line around the roots or the periodontal ligament? Um, Is that still there with lucency in the tooth, which would be considered type one? Or are we not able to see um, that periodontal ligament uh, space anymore, which we would call um, type two which is sort of similar to what we call uh root replacement resorption in humans and in dogs Mm, okay so Mm -hmm. it sounds like it's pretty important to classify them because that'll tell us the extent and severity and then help us to decide how we're going to address the problem absolutely absolutely so i always i like little tricks and and tips to kind of help students so i remember when i was teaching yeah for all of us not just students right um it's a lot to remember so um my biggest thing is remember the t's go together so type and treatment so while stage is important you know we want to you know stage any kind of disease um really it's the type that's going to tell us how we treat um so we're not going to treat a type one where we can see the periodontal ligament the same as a type two or we can't see the periodontal ligament and so even if we can see that the tooth is very severely diseased on the crown without the x-ray we don't know are we going to do an extraction or a crown amputation unless we can see whether that periodontal ligament is there or not so to treat these teeth without x-rays is we're just we're set up for we're set up for failure um if if we don't know we just really can't yeah for sure or i guess we 
can, but we ought not. <laughs> well, we wouldn't be doing a good job for sure. Exactly. If we can't do it properly without radiographs. I think yeah. you know, that's definitely fair to say. Yeah, we need to do our assessment just like any other surgery. Um, we want to have our diagnostics to know exactly what we're dealing with so that we know the appropriate course of treatment. Okay. So then just to sum up that part of it, it sounds like we want to definitely make sure we classify the type according to whether or not we can see that clear, lucent line of periodontal ligament space around the roots. And then that's going to determine what type of extraction we're going to do. Absolutely. Okay. Okay, perfect. And so so do you want to talk a little bit more about the two different extraction techniques for a second? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to. So um, a little bit hard on a podcast, but I'm I know, doing... I know. So when I say crown amputation, <laughs> uh, Dr. Gallen can see I'm doing air quotes. Yeah. And the reason I do that is because it's very rare that we'll have type 2 tooth resorption that affects the entire root, meaning that we don't see any periodontal ligament at all. So essentially, we want to remove as much tooth as possible. Um, and so the only reason we don't do extractions in type 2, which is where we can't see the periodontal ligament, is because it's being replaced by bone. And so we're going to sort of let the body finish that off, but we don't want to leave any tooth that has a ligament around it um, because then we're just leaving too much work for the kitty cat to do, their own body to do. Um, but it's that fine line of above all else, do no harm. So while we could go in and get the whole root, we'd have to remove a fair amount of bone and it's much more invasive. And so weighing out the pros and cons, that was based on literature um, by Greg DuPont um, back in the, I think it was like the 90s. Um, great paper, but he, they followed up a lot of these type two tooth resorptions, specifically type two, not all tooth resorption, and found that only in only 6%, maybe 5 or 6% of cases, was there ever a problem with doing the quote unquote crown amputation. So the body can continue to just replace that. So we remove any tooth that we can see clearly on x-ray and in our uh, surgical field that's not been replaced by bone. Um, however, when we can see that periodontal ligament space um, or type one tooth resorption, we really need to do a full extraction because that um, tooth isn't being fully replaced by bone um, and we can run into issues if we don't fully extract um, those that have a full parental ligament space. And then, like a lot of things in vet med, there is an asterisk. Uh-huh. So Tell the, me more. Yeah. So the asterisk. So if there's a, so the, the non-asterisk is if there's a periodontal ligament space, we must extract. Um, if there's not a periodontal ligament space, we can do a quote unquote crown amputation. And again, I say that because I want to remove any bit of root. So it can be a crown amputation in some cases, and sometimes it'll be sort of a root amputation in other cases. And then the asterisk would be there are certain times where we just, we ought not leave any tooth uh, material behind. So the big one is feline chronic gingivostomatitis. So still, after many decades of research, still working out the complete ideology of what sets off um, this very, you know, oftentimes debilitating inflammatory disease. However, there is a large suspicion that it is um, reaction to their own tooth material, which is why 
the, a large majority of kitty cats respond well to full mouth extractions. So again, another reason we need to be doing full mouth x-rays um, is because we need to make sure that we get rid of every little bit of tooth material in these chronic stomatitis cases. And and I've seen it firsthand where a little tiny incisor root, um, it was like, well, it's small and the inflammation's at the back of the mouth, so it's fine. Um, and just taking that root out went from a cat that had a feeding tube in on medications to no feeding tube, almost off all their medications. Wow. Oh yeah. my goodness. So no, leave no root behind when it comes to feline stomatitis. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Stomatitis being really severe inflammation of most of the mouth of the yes, cat. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So the gingiva and the mucosa. So sometimes we can get tricked a bit when we can't get a really good look in a cat's mouth. They can have really horrible, really nasty gingivitis. However, the inflammation stops right at the, the mucogingival margin. Uh, and that's why the trick of using their zygomatic arch as a handle is just trying to get a look in the back of the mouth. Like, yeah. are the palatoglossal folds inflamed? You know, if they're not and it's really really nasty gingivitis we may be dealing with an aggressive periodontitis which you know we don't necessarily need to remove all the teeth so um that can be really helpful and then the two other asterisks would be if there's evidence of periodontal or endodontic disease so if that root itself has some other concurrent disease we don't want to leave that behind no for sure if you've got mm-hmm. a lovely big tooth root abscess at the end of it but it's also resorptive at the same yes. time yes yeah. then then we're in trouble if we leave anything behind yes. that makes yeah. sense okay Okay, interesting. Very good. And then, yes, the crown amputation is where we can actually take off the crown of the tooth as opposed to um, uh, dissect, uh, sec- sorry, sectioning the tooth and then taking out both roots. But mm-hmm. yeah, it sounds like a lot of the time we're kind of doing a combination of those to make yes. sure that we remove all of that vi- visible root tissue that has um, that periodontal ligament. So do go to the diagrams on the American Vet Dental. Sorry, I'm going to get the AVDC mixed up. Yeah, you got okay. it. So go the AVDC.org. Yes. So there are, like Amy said, wonderful diagrams of different types of tooth resorption there. So if you kind of have a look at those, then you'll be able to better dissect what we're talking about here. So, um, so let's talk about... Hi, everyone. Amy and I had so much to talk about this time that we have gone over time. So we decided to split uh, this episode into two. So um, definitely catch us next time where we will talk a little bit more about extraction techniques, closing gingival flaps and all that good stuff. So um, definitely um, check out Amy's Instagram as well. Dr. Thompson has kindly offered to post some supplemental material to this podcast. And so uh, you'll find her on Instagram at toothy.thompson so that's t-o-o-t-h-y dot t-h-o-m-s-o-n also thanks so much for listening to us please email us if you have any questions or suggestions for future podcasts at vet sessions at hotmail.com and please follow us on instagram at vet sessions take care see you next time